All right, good morning. Good morning, good morning. morning. You know, back when we first started the church, Pam and I, uh, and our, uh, we had two kids at the time. There were four of us on on the first Sunday service, June 26, 1982. We were meeting at Nativity Lutheran Round Church right over there behind 7-Eleven. Is 7-Eleven still there or is that gone? That's gone, but same location. Nativity is a round church, Lutheran church, and they graciously let us borrow their building for the first summer of um, RCC's existence. And uh, in those days, it was Pam and I and, the, and two of the girls. Adrian wasn't born yet. And um, I think there were five people that came with us from Northwest Church who sent us out to plant the church. So we had a total of nine people. And of course, when you're a church pioneer, you don't have a staff. You do everything, right? And so uh, it's so cool because Pam was um, on nursery. Pam was the bookkeeper. Pam was the bulletin maker. And the best part was she was the one that did the transparencies. Remember transparencies? You know, it's kind of like they were all handwritten. You could never get them quite right on one line and it'd be all scribbly. Or I liked it later on in life where uh, somebody was like putting a sheet of paper over them. You know, like one line at a time. Oh, what's coming up next? Ah, there's the next verse. You know, oh, what's it going to be? Ah, it was so fun. And of course, I did preaching and worship and marriage counseling and and everything under the sun. And um, it's so cool to have grown from that spot and that place because there is something to be said for really having to gut it out when you're the only one that you can count on. And then God has just multiplied this body and spread the responsibilities out with all the gifts in this body. And I'm just so thankful that I'm uh, working with a church that is absolutely ready to get their elbows in there. I was going to say get their elbows dirty. That's not it. I'm thinking elbow grease, you know. Put out the effort and just serve. And uh, Joanna just leading us in worship. And uh, gosh, everybody that does what they do, I really appreciate it. So anyway, I'm happy to be a part of this church. October... What is it, 14th? Our anniversary was three days ago. And uh, thank you. We've been married 38 years. And so um, in honor of that, and just to say thanks to God for that, and also uh, Pam graciously said, since you're 65, you know, when I turned 50, there's a big deal, 55, 60, and same with her. We do something special. Um, we sent her to Africa when she turned 65 a few years ago. And... Uh, so anyway, she said, honey, where do you want to go? So we're going to Kauai. And we're leaving on Tuesday. It's like, woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. I'm so thrilled about that. So it's kind of in honor of both, you know, my birthday and, um, and our anniversary. It's going to be pretty cool. Uh, this morning, I, I'm not going to actually have, I don't have a sermon. What I've been doing is just learning some things uh, this past, literally this past week. Um, Hearing new things from God. So I've just been journaling, journaling a lot. And um, a lot of that, that journaling had to do with a, a challenge that I've been facing for a while, a couple of years actually. Um, and it really manifested itself when we, uh, a couple times this summer, went down to Oregon to spend time at the beach. And uh, I tried to go surfing. And I know it's a dumb thing. It's not a big deal to you guys, but it's a big deal to me because I, I want to be healthy and agile till I drop. And I really don't see any reason why I shouldn't or couldn't be. That's just who I want to be. And I think that's kind of it's part of stewarding God's gift of what he's given me and just being healthy, you know, breathing well, eating right, and staying fit. Well, remember when I couldn't lift my arm because my shoulder went out a couple years ago? 
Well, that, that lasted for, you know, a few months. I was able to lift it, but as far as getting strength and coordination back, it's, it's now been two years, and here we are at Cannon Beach again. And I tried to go surfing both times. The first was a camping trip we took, and then second was a, a week there. The, the camping trip was abysmal. I put on my wetsuit, paddled out. I could not get past my knees. I just had no strength. It's not just my arms, my core, my legs, everything. I was just like, I was slug. I was like, a, I felt like a sea lion on a surf. It was just, it, it was really depressing. I got to tell you, it was really depressing. So I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just work at this. So I thought, okay, maybe by the fall, because we just went in September, maybe, maybe if I work out a little bit or just kind of, I've been doing a lot of yard work, a lot of landscaping. Remember, I built a brick wall, block wall, and figured all this heavy lifting. So I go again, second time out, and I'm going, all right, this, this could do it. Same thing. I think I got onto my feet about five times out of 30 attempts. But it was just like dragging myself up like an old man in front of him. <laughs> You know, when you move that slowly and you're surfing, the wave is over and you're just going to fall. So it was like, it was not fun. I was very depressed. Very depressing. So here's, here's what was kind of causing that. It, it wasn't that I would hurt my shoulder. It wasn't that I wasn't able to get back in shape. It's that I just lost the drive. I just, I hate the gym. I hate exercising unless I'm accomplishing something. I, I stay in shape by playing or working hard. That's my mode. I've never had to do anything else. And I realized I just have no drive to get back in shape, and that's what was the most depressing. I had no motivation to fix it. And I know I'm a Christian. I should have higher goals than that. But no, this, for some reason, just meant a lot to me. And I, I was just really depressed for a long time. And um, it kind of manifested itself in, I don't know, creature comforts suddenly become really important. You know, more TV, more sitting around, more junk food, more comfort food. And you might think, well, come on, you have not gained a pound. I hide it well. And I, and I, I know what I can and should be according to God's design at this time of my life and what's, what's possible. I knew something had to change, but I just did not know how to get there. It was, um, it was really sad. And so I came across some statistics that were very sobering um, along the way. I've been reading a little bit. And uh, I discovered that the largest group of people in the United States that overdose on opioids are not teens, are not college students. It's the 35 to 55-year-old group. Wow, that's scary. I found out that the largest demographic who abuse alcohol are not teens, they're not college students. They're baby boomers. And I thought, wow, is this where I'm headed? So I'm thinking, Lord, I've got, I've got to get some help. I just, I need you to do something. I love that song, um, when the mountain that we think has to move doesn't move, what are you going to do? That's kind of where I was at. I, it's, it's okay to have a challenge when you're motivated to, to climb. Motivated to run, right? It's okay to have a job. I don't mind difficulty. When you, when I, if I have something in me to push with, that's great. But when I have nothing to push with, it's kind of like the mountain's there, and I'm never getting over it. So I'm going to kind of read a little bit, because I literally just took 10 pages of handwritten notes from the past week, and uh, just kind of put them down. 
So our staff went to the Northwest Pastors Conference, um, happens every year in the fall, in Spokane this past week, and uh, it started Monday, ended Wednesday, but they have uh, continuing education seminars for, um, for pastors who are licensed, and it's called Access. And so uh, the cool thing is uh, Pam and Kevin and Cleo and I went Sunday so we could be there Monday morning for the um, continuing education thing. And uh, there was a speaker there. We, we read about him, never heard him before, but he really seemed inspiring. And so we went early. The rest of the staff came on Monday, and uh, it was an awesome, awesome time. But what was so cool was um, the speaker at that continuing education seminar, I can't remember the title, his name is Leonard Sweet, and he's a doctor, written tons of books, and great guy. If you ever want to look him up, he's got some wonderful stuff. Uh, but I remember praying this prayer as we were getting ready for that meeting. I was just half-hearted. You know when you're not doing well with the Lord, you just kind of, um, you don't really want to do well with the Lord? It's just weird. It's kind of a spiral, you know? But I, I figured the right thing to do is pray and ask God for help. I said, Lord, okay, can you just help me out? I, I need motivation again. And so I prayed that prayer, and as Leonard is sharing for this three, four-hour seminar, um, one of the things he said along the way was, um, he was talking about Paul, and he said, Paul said to the Corinthians, I am compelled by the love of Christ. And for some reason, that just rung in my ears, that verse. And I go, there's something to it. I'm not sure what it is, but that verse, I'm compelled by the love of Christ, really just kind of just was a word to my heart, and I go, I, I got to figure out where is it? He didn't, didn't preach on it, didn't tell us a reference or anything else. I said, I know I've heard it. It's in there. I, but I had to go home Monday afternoon and find it. I just went, and I said, I got to find that verse. Where is it? I'm not sure if it's something that he said or for something that God just kind of, you know, put in there by the Holy Spirit, but um, I looked up the verse, and here's what I found. Here, here's where it comes from. I go, I don't know. There's I'm usually pretty good at Bible addresses. I could not find this one, and I couldn't even find the word compelled because I was thinking it was the word constrained. It's the word in King James. It's constrained, so I was kind of, I just couldn't be all confused. Anyway, here's what Paul is saying. He's actually talking to the Corinthian church, and um, they're making fun of Paul because he's so berserk for Jesus. He's just like, a, he's just nuts for Christ. He's just absolute, I mean, and they're, they're kind of calling him on that. Paul, you're just, you're kind of a nutcase. And so Paul's trying to respond to that and say, Here, here's a little backstory. Let me give you a little explanation. Here's why. He says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. Have you ever heard the term Jesus freak? Nope. I heard this acronym, nuts. Never underestimate the spirit. That's kind of the way Paul was living. So he's nuts for God. He says, but if we are in our right mind, it's for you. So that's, he was referring to the times when he's very serious and he's kind of confronting them on their, their behavior and that kind of thing. He says, when we're serious, that's because we want you to benefit. But when it's not involving you and we're just, it's us and Jesus, man, we're just going to go crazy for him. And so I'm reading this and I'm going, that's what I want again. Where did that go? For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And this is where it's getting kind of, okay, that's kind of wonky. I don't, where does that come in with the being nuts for Jesus? I'm compelled by his love. And then he starts talking about this death. So I, I just kept reading. And it says, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, 
but for him who died for them and was raised again. So I'm, I'm kind of meditating on this and just kind of writing down some observations. And then I reflected back to the, the meeting on early on Monday. And Leonard Sweet showed us this picture that God just used to blow my mind. So let's take a look at the first one. Oh, I actually have the clicker, don't I? Does, is it up there? There it is. Who knows what this is a painting of? Go ahead and tell us. What? Yeah, Sistine Chapel. Who was the painter? Michelangelo, right. And so, uh, you know, for years, theologians have been looking at this picture and said, man, Michelangelo is not only an amazing artist, not only do we appreciate his work and his art, but he's a theologian. He's got it right. And for years, Christians have looked at this painting and said, see, that's exactly how it is. There's, there's this chasm between God and man, and, and they, they never really can touch because man is depraved and God is holy, and there's just a, miles apart. There's no way man could ever reach God until Jesus Christ was sent to bridge the gap, right? And so they go, Michelangelo, he had this, man. That guy is just awesome Christian. It's like, this will preach. So theologians have loved that picture for years. But then when you pan out to the whole picture, I put a loincloth on Adam so you wouldn't have to worry about that. When you pan out to the whole picture, do you remember a few years ago when um, some churches wanted to be seeker-sensitive? Remember that? Seeker-sensitive. You know, and so uh, they started building their churches more like theaters and having lots of skits and just kind of more contemporary music, even using sec secular music to kind of... The whole point was to draw people in that wouldn't normally come to a regular church, right? And so um, the idea was that um, there are seekers out there. We're just, we're just not very easy to comprehend because we're so churchy. And so, um, obviously, some churches went too far on that, and other churches um, did just right as balanced. And, and I think there's some merit to, to the whole idea of being seeker-sensitive. Um, but there were some unintended consequences. What does the term seeker-sensitive imply about the people that you want to come to your church? What does it say about them? They're seekers. Yeah, they're searching. They're just kind of like out there looking and trying to find God. But it also suggests that God, well, what does it suggest about God? Huh? You mean he's careful? Mm, yeah, careful, I suppose. Well, if I'm the seeker, what is, you know what it implies about God? He's kind of hard to find. He's hiding. Yeah, it's like God is, I mean, worse than hard to find. He's like hiding. We're looking, and he's out there going, ah, can't get me. And so we began thinking about this, this painting. And when you look at Adam, you go, he's not exactly putting a lot into this. I mean, he's like lounging. He's almost like rolling his eyes, head to the side, like, oh, um, whatever. You know, God is reaching to him, and he's like, he could hardly put out the effort. His wrist is limp. His fingers kind of dangling. I mean, he can't even hold his arm up. He's got to rest it on his knee. It's almost like he doesn't really have this desire. It's almost like he's going to accommodate God. You see, the truth is, 
God is not the one who's hiding. Adam is. Adam is the one who's been hiding ever since the fall. Adam and Eve, ever since they turned and went their own way, they've been running from God. And we saw that from the beginning. Remember? Adam, where are you? Why are you hiding? Well, I knew I was naked, I'm ashamed, and I don't really want to be with you right now. So I'm looking at this picture, and it just, it just hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, Alex, you're hiding from God because you don't trust him. You just don't trust him. So that's why you've been sort of gravitating toward the second best thing, creature comforts. A little more TV, a little more video games, a little more junk food, a little more laying around. Or a good distraction, yard work. That makes me satisfied. It's because you don't trust me, and you're the one that's been hiding, you're the one that's been running. And I realized, you know, everything kind of comes in degrees. You know, before I got saved, I was truly running from God. But as you get to know him, we gradually are drawn, and then a revelation comes, and we get drawn some more. We pull back, or we fall away, or we, we just kind of stagnate for a while, and then something happens, and we come. So it's in degrees. So I'm not saying like I was like running from God. I don't want to be a Christian anymore. This is a matter of degree. And he was demonstrating to me, he said, this is kind of the way you're treating me because you don't trust me. And I began to realize it's really true. I don't trust him all the way. We sing songs about surrender and take my hands, take my feet, take my lips, take my heart. And I don't really want to. Because I had it in my mind that if I said yes, it just means one more job, one more risk I would have to take just to prove that I probably won't succeed. I'm going to be depressed again, have one more failure. He's just going to wear me down. He's just going to use me up. And the truth is, although he says he loves me, it's really for his purpose. It's his agenda that he's all about. And I literally did not know this, but that's the way I've been seeing him lately. He's all about him. It's never about me. And when I say yes, I'm not saying yes to his love. I'm saying yes to his agenda. So I've just been kind of holding back. If you don't take care of me, I'll take care of myself. Thank you very much. Thanks for the salvation. I got things to do. A lot of times I, I feel like God wants me to prove myself to him. Prove myself. And of course, I fail miserably. Uh, I, I say, I'm just not cut out for this job. And I don't mean the job of being a pastor. I mean the job of just being a son. It's not that great a son. Sorry. Yeah, we got Sally. We got Jill. We got Pete. We got Steve. We got all these wonderful Christians who love God. And they're so loved by him. But then Alex, yeah, he's kind of second tier. And so, anyway, I'm kind of processing all of this stuff. And I'm going, wow, that's, that's really, that's, that can't be healthy. <laughs> that's not healthy, man. i got to do something about that, too. And it's strange because I've been singing all these songs, you know. Um, who is this king of glory who pursues me with his love? I mean, it's that picture right there. I'm singing, I believe it. Or, um, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God it chases me down fights till I'm found. I mean, all this dramatic, strong pursuit language. I'm singing, and I agree, and I agree, and I agree about this deep. 
But in my day-to-day life, I don't really trust you. I've got to take care of myself. And so as I'm recognizing this, I'm going, you know, I, I think the picture God wants me to get is to just stop running and let him catch me. Just let him catch me. Just let him catch me and see what happens and believe that. He really isn't just out for his own agenda. He really is out for Alex, even to the point of getting in shape for Kauai. That sounds lame maybe or shallow, but that was huge to me. I'm thinking, touchdown, God. Because it wasn't just about surfing, just about me having some selfish pleasure fulfilled. It's about my future. This is my life. I mean, I'm supposed to be in shape and be useful till the last day. And that's part of it. If, if I just kind of turn to a blob, that is not good. It does not honor God. Plus, I can't surf anymore. Plus, it's not fun. Plus, I feel horrible all the time. So I began to realize maybe this is what God's been trying to say to me. Alex, lean into it. Stand there. Let me catch you. Let me embrace you. Let me love you and actually create circumstances that will just make you happy. I'm not going to fulfill every whim and every desire and every fleshly thing, but, but I, want, I, want, you know, I want you to be a happy son as well as a hardworking son and a, and a healthy son and a useful son and a, an available minister. But it doesn't preclude or exclude the stuff you love. Have you ever found yourself saying, you know, what I want to do right now is uh, it's not sin. It's actually not bad, but I really want to do it. But I don't think God cares about that. So I'll just kind of leave him there. I'm going to go off and have some fun. I mean, it could be shopping for me. It's yard work. It could be going to the beach. It could be anything. Do you ever feel like that's just kind of beneath him? He's really got more important things to do. Anybody else ever feel like that? And it occurred to me, no, he loves surfing. He loves yard work. He actually loves vegging out in front of a television once in a while. And I began to believe that about him. And... I, I think the new thing for me is he's saying you don't have to um, worry that you're going to go overboard if I'm present with you. Because if you're letting me embrace you, I'll let you know. All right, turn it off. All right, shift gears. All right, go in the house and help with the grandkids. All right, just enough yard work. You can trust that I'm going to manage you and the joys of your life and the things that bring fulfillment on other levels besides the kingdom. Because I love you. You know, Jesus is called Emmanuel, right? We've heard that a hundred times. And Emmanuel means? God with us. So that means God's middle name is with. That's important to him. I'm going, wow, really, Lord? Yeah, really. In everything, in everything, in everything, I want to be with you. So that's when I realized that i, I got to kind of dig into this verse a little bit more. There's something there, because I'm the kind of guy that if I like meditate on a Bible verse or a concept that's stuck to a Bible verse, and if I memorize it, then it starts becoming a reality to me. It's part of my perspective. My lens shifts to align with that word. So I went back to that passage, and I think I still got it up there following this guy. Yeah. I went back to that. I said, okay, Lord, let me, let me dig into this a little bit more. And God showed me several things. He said, number one, Alex, you can't be compelled, you know, sort of driven to serve, to be a a useful minister. 
Because that's what I was missing, motivation. Not just for getting back in shape, but motivation for church, you know, to the bare minimum, to show up and put in my time. You can't be compelled by something you do not possess. Paul says, we are compelled by the love of Christ. You've got to learn how to possess my love. You've got to live in my presence. You've got to learn how to be with me on a regular basis and make that a habit where the first thing out of your mouth ought to be, Father, as you pursue me, remind me to stop and let you catch me today and all day long. And, you know, that's a little bit of a nuanced concept because some ways, I don't know, when you start talking about love and I want to touch your face and all this. For guys, it's kind of effeminate and you sort of go, I don't know, that's a little weird for me. But the Lord said, just get over that. Just get over it. What I'm trying to say to you, Alex, is you can't do anything apart from me. Let me embrace you. I want you to experience not only my presence, but the joy that I want to bring you, even if you've got a tough challenge ahead of you, something on your schedule is going to be really challenging. If you're walking in my presence, I'm embracing you, guess what? It may be challenging, but there's going to be a bit of joy underlying, undergirding the entire thing. You're going to walk away going, that was awesome. I heard somebody say once, you can't be a witness until you experience witness. Yeah. Here I'm trying to be a professional minister and I haven't had any witness for a long time. So I'm looking at this verse and I'm going, okay, I can't be compelled by something I don't possess. I need to learn how to be crazy for God on a regular basis. And if I'm crazy for God, the motivation will arise to serve him. But there's something else he showed me too. This part about him dying for all of course, that's his greatest act of love for us. And then embraces me in spite of my sin. That's the way to be motivated to not keep living for myself. If I'm being embraced by God, suddenly all these creature comforts just fade in value. They're just temporary. Plus, they just make me fat, lazy, and sloppy which I knew and I felt badly about, but I didn't have any motivation to change. So I realized if I had to stay embraced in his presence, suddenly I can restrain myself, which is what Paul says later on. We will no longer live for ourselves. And so I made up a little saying. In my journal, I wrote down this little saying. I said, this is perfect. I can be restrained because I am constrained by Christ. That's the King James version of compelled. I can say no to television, too much TV. I can, can say no to too much junk food. I can say no to too much laying around, too much whatever it is that I want to indulge myself in to feel good because I'm loved by my Heavenly Father, genuinely, totally, and completely. That came to me about, I don't know, Tuesday or Wednesday this week. And Thursday morning, I got up at 4 o'clock. I was energized. I slept well. And I couldn't wait for the gym to open. So I've been going to the gym almost every day since then. It's only been like four days, but it feels like. Anyway, it's, I have a brand new life. I have so much energy, so much desire, so much joy, and just so much. I can do this. Now, I have to admit, part of it is motivated by the fact that I'm going to Kauai on Tuesday. 
okay? So God's pretty smart. I mean, he's not, that's not beneath him to use, you know, normal earthly means also to accomplish spiritual goals. But he knows that's important to me. So, in fact, one of the, one of the motivations was I told Pam, wow, if I, you know, this last summer of my surfing ability is any indication, if I'm spending all this money to go to Kauai to surf and all I can do is sit on the beach, that's an expensive beach vacation. What is the point? So I just said, okay, I've got, I've got to be a good steward of that investment, so I'm going to get back in shape so I kind of should go for the reason that we made the trip in the first place. So I'm, I'm like getting in shape. I'm eating better. I'm drinking a ton more water. It's like this is not the person I've been in the last two years. It has been absolutely exciting for me. And a little side note. You know how sin never comes like door, boom, open, door closed, boom. Sin is always gradual. Um, as I'm gradually weaning myself from just kind of lazy living, I feel like I'm getting holier. I feel like I'm becoming holier. Not like I was in sin in the first place. I'm not using drugs and I'm not off, you know, gallivanting around. But I could see that coming if I wasn't careful. And now I see myself drifting back. And, and what I, put, I finally put these two together. Holiness must be connected to the goodness of God. Because that's the only real pure motivation to stay away from this world. And so I'm just going, I've got to stay with you, Lord. I've got to let you catch me on a daily, even moment-by-moment basis. Because that's what's going to give me the joy of the Lord, which is my strength. And I feel the strength again. It's like this motivation, this desire, this passion to serve, to be available, to sacrifice. It's like not that big a deal compared to my God and what he's giving me right now. And living at a certain level of restraint is really not all that hard when you have something better to live for. Amen? So this morning, I just want to kind of share my journey lately. And um, I'm hoping that for some of us this morning, you'll see yourself in that. Because I know we're all the same, basically. We all go for plan B when it seems like plan A is out of reach. And... um, Plan A can get distorted and look like it's just another task, another thing to make me look bad. We think God's going to just sort of lay something on us for his agenda at our expense. And I just want to say to you, that's not who your heavenly father is. Your God really does like you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. And I think it's important for us to examine how we deal with that relationship. And for me, it really helped to begin seeing the contrast between what I've been in the past and what I was becoming. That I, I used to be crazy for God. I used to be crazy for God. What happened? And that disparity, the greater it gets, generally should make it clearer in our mind that we desperately need him. And so even a half-hearted prayer, God, all right, fine. I'm probably not doing great. Just speak to me. And he just went, oceans of answers. And you know what? I, I realized, you know, repentance is when you turn from one direction, you go a new direction. It sounds, in some um, circumstances, kind of a harsh, like, you need to repent. It depends on who's doing the preaching. It could sound very scary. You know, this guy's really mad at us, man. But repentance is the result of God's kindness, kindness. 
kindness. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. He would much rather have us get it right before we were exposed, not after. Before we start feeling ashamed or do something stupid. It's his kindness. And I felt like, God, you love me so much, even though I should know better by now. You're so kind and gracious. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So I just want to encourage you this morning, if that's something you've been fighting with or struggling with, um, your Heavenly Father has the answer. All we have to do is say, Lord, teach me, teach me. Let me see you as a Father I can trust with my life. If you notice that you're kind of slipping in areas you used to be strong in, it's connected to that. And you can. You can be re-energized by the presence, the goodness of God's Holy Spirit and strengthened and motivated to restrain and turn away. It's possible. It's doable. Leonard Sweet said along the way, he said, people who drop their nets to follow Jesus, remember the disciples dropped their nets, followed Jesus. People who drop their nets to follow Jesus will be tempted to pick them up again. It's, it's just going to happen. Remember Peter, when he thought he just ruined Jesus' life, he betrayed him, he's dead, he's gone. What did he do? He said, I'm going fishing. And back he went. And guess what? Jesus followed him there. And he said, just kidding, come on, let's go. <laughs> I'm alive. So there's always hope for second chances. There's always hope to turn things around and start over again. No matter how old you are, how long you've known the Lord, your father is gently asking you to stop. Let him catch you. So, Father, this morning we just praise you and thank you for your endless, overwhelming love for us. Thank you for the incredible insights, Lord, that you are not hiding. You're not the one running. But you're the one seeking. Would you give us the courage to stop hiding and to stop running? Even if we have something to say that we know we're not proud of, something to expose or admit to, remind us, Lord, that you died for us. That's been covered already. So help us not to be afraid, but to allow your presence to become our everyday atmosphere so we can rest in your love. We can work out of your love. We can even sacrifice because of your love. Not because you have an agenda to fulfill, but because you want to make us complete, whole, balanced, fruitful, and satisfied men and women, sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there are some of you this morning I know already have this kind of rich fellowship with the Lord, or you're, you're doing better than I have been. And um, I just want to encourage you the outcome of that should be a compelling to give it away. You know, if, if you're not struggling with this, maybe you're already there, then there ought to be some outworking of that love and grace and sacrifice and sharing and giving. Paul says, well, I'm not here to serve myself. I'm here to serve him, which usually means something here on earth. But if you've had a hard time giving life away, well, this is the place to start right here. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Um, we've got a couple of great 
speakers the next couple of weeks. Daryl Eidinger will be here next Sunday. Wave your hand, Daryl. If you've heard him before, you know he's an absolute delight. And then Pastor Kevin will be uh, sharing the following Sunday. So be here. Be at fight night. Invite your friends and sign up. Okay? God bless you. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank <laughs> you.